Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Gospel for Pinocchio by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I pray this morning that as we come around your word that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our hearts, Lord, for that is the place that you belong. Take your rightful place in our lives, Lord. Take the rightful place as being exalted above everything else. Lord, I pray this morning that that your word would act as a sieve. May it sift our hearts. May it sift our attitudes. May it sift our desires. We are empty before you, Lord, and ask to be filled this morning. Thank you, Lord. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, I'll meet you there in a moment. I'm going to get a little bit heavier this morning, so I thought I'd start with something a little bit lighthearted to kick us off. There was a a young boy, he's about 11 years of age, and all he wanted for Christmas, because we're coming around to Christmas time, right? All he wanted for Christmas was a was a brand new sparkling blue bike. And every day he'd walk to school and he'd walk past the shop and he'd see that blue bike in the window and his heart grew fonder and fonder of this blue bike. So he, he decides, I wonder what I'm going to do here. So he goes and he, he talks to his pastor and says, Pastor, I really have my heart set on this bike. What am I to do? And he, the pastor gives him great advice. And he says, you know what? You should pray. So his mum is overhearing this and observing this. And so he goes home and he gets onto his knees. He says, Father, I would like a brand new sparkling blue bike, just like the one in that window. And I would like it outside my bedroom door tomorrow morning. Amen. (laughs) Could hardly sleep a wink. The anticipation rises. He runs to the door, opens the door and there's no bike. He's a little bit disheartened. The pastor's led me up the garden path again. So he goes, he thinks, what am I going to do? So he goes to talk to a few people. He doesn't get much advice. He's at home. He's watching TV and he sees a preacher on TV. He says, you know what? Anything you want, you can have. You just have to speak it. He goes, I, can't, I can do that. And his mum's in the kitchen listening. So he runs up into his bedroom and he starts speaking a shiny blue sparkly bike. Next morning, wakes up, opens the door. No bike. Well, a new demeanour comes over the boy this time and he goes to school, he walks past that bike and his mum's watching intently to see what will happen here and he comes home, doesn't say a word, walks straight in, goes over to the mantelpiece, picks up a statue of the Virgin Mary, goes up into his bedroom, closes the door, gets onto his knees and says, Jesus, I have your mother. (laughs) And if there is not a sparkly blue bike outside my door in the morning... And if you're Catholic here this morning, I (laughs) apologise. Had he asked for a black one, he may have got it. Who knows? All right. This morning, uh, we're going to continue to work our way through the book of Romans. And uh, last week, we saw that uh, Romans is written by Paul. And, you know, Paul's an interesting guy because he's a guy that was deeply, deeply religious 
And uh, we have a combination of a man deeply anointed, but yet deeply educated. So some people might say, you know what? You don't need any education. The Holy Spirit will give it to you all. And some people say, all you need is education and you should study more. Well, we need a combination of both. And we see both in Paul. But by the time Paul has an encounter with Christ, he's a deeply religious man who has found all the processes. He, he would confess that according to the law, I am blameless. Now, there's not many people who could stand up and say that. But here was a man also that was incredibly empty. We actually find that Paul is struggling to fill a hole inside of himself. He's longing for something and he was missing it. And that's why when Jesus comes on the scene, he, gets, he, he violently defends his religion because it's the only way he knows to be right before God. But yet he encounters Christ and there's a transformation that happens in Paul. And this Paul now writes a letter to the Roman church. And uh, in, uh, interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 18, in the first two verses, we read that the Roman governor, the Roman emperor at that time, Claudius, actually expels all of the Jews out of Rome <laughs> for five years. No Jews out of Rome, all gone. But the church continues to build. The church continues to flourish. And what we end up with is a church of non-Jewish Christians. Nothing wrong with that. Everything's going fine until the Jews come back. And now we have non-Jewish Christians and we have Jewish Christians. And we have the Jewish Christians that say, you know what, you guys have got to be circumcised. I mean, how many males are signing up for that? But, but now we've got the Jews and you need, to, you need to only eat stuff like we eat stuff. And you need to uphold to all the stuff that we uphold to. You have to have Jesus and our rules and regulations and the tensions are growing. Because the, non-Christ, the non-Jewish Christians are going, hang on a second, that's not what we were told. And there's... There's a, there's a disjointed disconnect and Paul is writing and he wants to write a message to a church that he's never been to. Paul has, has, didn't plant this church, but he wants to write one message to them that would bring unification. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you read the pastor's comments this morning, it is the gospel that must become our plumb line. And the gospel is simply this. It is the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. It's the truth. Yes, it is Jesus came and died for our sins, but it's so much more as we will explore today. How many of us here know the story of Pinocchio? The picture's up there. Most of us uh, know the story of Pinocchio. Pinocchio has been adapted and twisted, but it's an 1800s kind of story by a guy by the name of Collotti writes the story. Initially, it's a little bit more dark than we would understand it to be, but uh, Disney puts their spin on things as they do. But here's what's common in the story of Pinocchio. Uh, One, he is a wooden puppet controlled by strings. Two, his creator is a guy by the name of Geppetto, same guy. Uh, He is a puppet that is created in a Tuscan village in Italy. And we all know that what else is common to the story is that when he lies, his nose grows. Like yours does, Mitchell. (laughs) Oh, it grows. And so there's one thing that's missing that's common to the story of Pinocchio, and that's this. This is a wooden puppet that longs to be a real boy. 
Here's a wooden puppet that longs to know real life, to know a real heart beating inside of him, but yet he's wooden, stiff and controlled by strings. And for a moment, if we could grasp it, our churches are full of Pinocchios, people who are trapped in a wooden, stiff, legalistic religiosity, longing to know and experience and taste the fullness of God. I have a gospel message today. I have good news to anybody who might be sitting here today saying, you know what? Sometimes I feel a little bit like Pinocchio. Paul would say, I felt a lot like Pinocchio. Religion for me was all about rules. God was all about ceremonies. So I ask you today, do you long for authentic, spiritual, supernatural life? Who here longs? For that, who here longs to to move on into the deep things of God? Yeah. Here's the common misconception in churches that we leave the gospel and move on to the deep things of God. That's wrong. The gospel is the deep thing of God, and we will see that today. A light switch went on for a certain man. Who longs to know the sweetness of the presence of God? Let me tell you something now. The presence of God is not making chicken noises and barking like a dog like they do on YouTube. The presence of God is not rainbows, soap bubbles in the air or gold dust falling from the sky. The presence of God is when people are transformed. Being drunk in the spirit, I can tell you now, has got nothing to do with chicken noises and nothing to do with making a dog barking noise. You are drunk, but find yourself a different spirit. Who here, and I will put my hand up to this, because I like to put God into boxes too, but who here would like to lose the wooden, stiff, legalistic, lifeless religion and move on to knowing the presence of God in our everyday lives. You know, when Jesus came, he did not come, we'll explore this later on as well, but Jesus did not come just to hand out free tickets to heaven. That's not why Jesus came. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus came to hand out free tickets for anybody that wants to come to heaven. That is our hope and what we look forward to, praise God. And it is an enormous part of our hope. But eternal life, said Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is what eternal life is, that they may know you. And you can do that today. That's the beauty of the gospel. You can know God today. This gospel, this truth about who Jesus is, has a burning flame, just like we heard last week. We, when we look at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle has the outer court. You know, in the outer court, there's, there's the shedding of blood and there's the, there's the lava basins for washing and we move from the outer court, we move into the holy place. And in the holy place, no natural light comes in there, but all light is given by the menorah or the golden candlestick, which is a beautiful picture of Jesus. And in the holy place is the shoe bread, a picture of the bread of life, and the altar of incense, a picture of our unceasing prayer before God. And then we would move into the most holy place, but only one man would do that, and once a year with a rope tied around his waist, and if he got anything wrong, we had to drag him back out from the presence of God, because God's presence, the actual tangible uh, uh, presence of God, was inside that veil. 
And here's the beautiful, beautiful truth of the gospel. When Jesus came, he tore those veils. No man could do that. The veil to the most holy place was something like three inches thick, 30 feet long, and something like 30 feet, uh, sorry, 13 feet tall. No man can tear that from top to bottom in their own strength. But everything that happened inside of the tabernacle was fueled by a presence that lay behind that veil. Every person was moving towards that presence. Our spiritual life is much the same. We are moving towards that presence. But so many of us are content to stay in the outer court when God beckons us ever closer, ever closer. This gospel is under attack and it's under threat, both behind the pulpit and wherever else. People want to taint, distort, dilute the gospel. Let me tell you that the gospel is not Jesus handing out free tickets to heaven. The gospel is not a means to getting all of your pleasures. But here's the important one for today. The gospel absolutely is not a message about what you have to do. It is a message about what Jesus Christ has done. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners. The gospel is the promise of eternal life. And it's much more than that. And we're going to unpack it today as we work our way through. If you meet me in Romans chapter 1, and we start at verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What has happened between the verses from last week and now is simply Paul has expressed his longing to visit Rome. He uses some interesting terms when he speaks about that. He says, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift and that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You can't read those words and then put up your hand and say, you know what, church is not for me. You can't read those words and say, I'm, I'm clocking out of church because community is important. And when we're here with each other, we're sharing spiritual gifts with one another. He says in verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word ashamed is a verb and it means to have a feeling or a fear or shame which prevents a person from doing a thing. Every single Bible translation translates the Greek here exactly the same. It is ashamed. It is a strengthened form of the Greek word and to fully understand it I wanted to use two other verses. First one is found in Mark chapter 8 verse 38. Jesus is talking to his disciples about discipleship. Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship and right at the end of that conversation he says for whoever is ashamed, there's that word again, Whoever is ashamed of me, he's talking about if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to lose your life, you'll actually save it. If you'll lose it for me, you'll actually save your life. And at the end of it, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. That's a, that's a message for another time, that one. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. Same word that Jesus is speaking. If anything inhibits you, 
Let me tell you, what the, let me tell you the, the number one ploy of the enemy. We're going to explore why in a moment. But the, but the enemy is more than happy to have all of this gospel, all of its power, locked up inside of these walls. You know, the enemy is more than happy for you to call yourself a Christian, to some degree. More than happy for you to come to church on Sunday. More than happy for you to say grace around the family table. But when you take it outside of these walls, when you begin to live this gospel, when you begin to speak this gospel, the enemy begins to quake. Because there might not be any power in you, but there's power in this. And living a life that is unashamed looks like lifting the cork on this gospel. The next time it's used is when Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy's a young guy pastoring a tumultuous church in Ephesus. These guys are up and down all over the place. And Timothy's been under increasing attack, but Paul writes to just firm him up, steady him down, and he says, you know what? Therefore, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. About the testimony of Jesus Christ, do not be ashamed. Stand firm, stand up nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel. I'm going to unpack it for you right now. If you were sold a gospel that sounds like, come to Jesus and you've got a rosy life of of petals and rainbows afterwards, go back and get your money back. Because it's not in the Bible. There's no gospel like that in this Bible. It's not there. But I can make you one guarantee. If you you are going to stand up and live for Jesus in this generation, you're going to suffer for the gospel. And what a joyous privilege it is to suffer for his gospel. Paul didn't make any mistakes. And you might be sitting here this morning and you might be saying, well, what does it mean to live unashamed? What does that look like for me? How how do I know if that's me this morning? Well, the best way I could describe it is this. To live unashamed is when we live our lives no longer to please men, but rather in diligent pursuit to please God. Living unashamed looks like God determines your behaviour, God determines your attitudes, God determines your desires, not men. You want to say grace when you're at a restaurant? You go ahead and say grace. You want to read your Bible at the cafe? You get it out and read your Bible at the cafe. Don't you let men tell you what you can and can't do. That's the life they lived in the first century. The gospel was uncorked and have a look at what it did to Asia Minor. Living unashamed is when we live our lives no longer to please men but to please God. You look at the testimony of the saints of old. You look up people like Augustine, even one guy we're going to touch on today by the name of Luther, but other guys, Wigglesworth, guys that are close that we know, guys like Wigglesworth and stuff. These guys lived a life that was unashamed. I follow Jesus and I am unashamed. Huge message for our young people is to stand up in a generation and say, I'm unashamed of Jesus. Why would you live a life like this? Paul Paul doesn't leave us dangling. For it is the power of God for salvation. You might be sitting here today, we've got a community of people out there that need Jesus. Anybody agree with that? 
I do. I absolutely. And I wonder to myself, Lord, what can I do? Are you sitting here this morning saying to yourself, what, you got family members that need Jesus? I do. You're sitting here and you're thinking, what is it that we can do? Because you know what? Rebirth is an absolute miracle of God. John, uh, John chapter 3 doesn't leave any questions. The, the wind blows wherever it wishes. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But what can we do, Lord? Well, Scripture is clear on two fronts. And that is, uh, the two things that we can do. First one is prayer. We pray for non-believers. That's the first one. The second one is proclamation. So prayer and proclamation. What that means is proclaiming the absolute beautiful truth of Jesus Christ. The gospel is where words and power meet. We forget, however, that this is not just for non-Christians. We forget that this power is not just for new believers. Because what Paul says here is it's the power of God for salvation. And salvation in the Greek means rescue, but it also means preservation. That's what it means. It kind of like this. Imagine you're out fishing. That's something that most of us can imagine pretty easily. Imagine you're out fishing and your boat gets a hole in it and it sinks and you're floating on the ocean with nothing. Salvation is not just chucking you a life ring and saying, good luck. Salvation is not only will we rescue you, but we're going to bring you on board. We're going to tend to your injuries. We're going to take your fish. (laughs) Salvation is so much more than simply believing upon Christ in the initiation. Salvation is a lifelong process. But we need the power of God for that. It is the power of God for what you cannot do. The gospel transforms. The gospel lifts. The gospel liberates. When it's outlined and reflected upon, its power is released. Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say here. Does anybody know, uh, Brother Rob will know the answer to this question, but paraphrasing, does anybody know why we had the law in the Old Covenant? Why would you do that? Why not just send Jesus straight away? Good question. Why not just send Jesus straight away? You know, Paul's quite clear in his letters that through the law came the knowledge of sin. Through the law, we began to understand that in our own human strivings and efforts, we're never going to be able to close that gap between us and God. It exposes our need, it exposes our crisis, and then God introduces Jesus. If you've got a crisis, Jesus is the man you want. But if you're following the story of Israel with me for a moment, this is the power of God, follow it with me for a moment. Israel comes out of Egypt, great picture of salvation. They come through the Red Sea, they they come into the wilderness, and all the time they're going to the mountain of God, and they're, they're... They're preparing themselves to meet with God. They're preparing to worship God. And then they get to the foot of the mountain and God comes down in all of his presence on top of Mount Sinai. And all of Israel at the bottom of the mountain says, we're cool, we'll stay here. Because all of a sudden they realised there is no way we have the right to go from the bottom to the top. No way. What... The gospel is what the truth about Jesus Christ is. It's the power to get from the bottom of the mountain to the top. That's good news, friends. 
You don't have to stay at the bottom of the mountain. You don't have to live distant from God anymore. Why? Because Jesus gives us the power, we'll explore a little bit more in a moment, to get from the bottom of the mountain to the top. Wow. When you release the good news of Jesus Christ, it is power to transform people. It dissolves chains. If you want to know what revival looks like, revival looks like God being put back in his rightful place. That's just, A.W. Tozer made it simple. He said, if you want to know what revival looks like, it's when the church of Jesus Christ puts God back in his rightful place. Something happens in a community when that happens. Something happens in your life when that happens. And can I tell you now, I, I've got some good news, which is the gospel, but you almost need to sign a disclaimer because it will not stop. This, the truth about Jesus Christ will not leave you desiring anything but him. You can't. And the reason we exist so often in the outer court is the, the fallen nature in our lives, the, the pride in our lives goes unchecked and uncrucified in our lives. Sin and God cannot be in the same place. And the only way there's an answer to that is if Jesus takes away the sin component. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God to the Jew first and also to the Greek and also to the English and also to the Italians and also to the Germans. It is the power of God for salvation. And what I love about this gospel is that in this verse we find that this gospel tears down walls. You see, no longer is acceptance before God about the colour of your skin. No longer is acceptance before God about who your mum and dad is. No longer is acceptance before God got to do with anything about that. It's all about Jesus. Praise God. Because I've seen the hats the Jews wear and I don't know if they'd fit. But the good news is that it breaks down walls, it breaks down racial walls, but here it goes further than that. You see, this gospel removes all divisions. It removes social classes now. Now, it doesn't matter how much money you earn. That doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or how intelligent you think you are. It doesn't matter how many letters you have before or after your name. It doesn't matter because there's no separations. There's no divisions. It's the power of God to salvation for the Greek and also for the Jew. How many people here, I think uh, Sister Margaret, she has a doctorate. Does anybody here have a doctorate? Anybody else apart from Margaret Parks have a doctorate? I don't. I want a life, so I've decided I don't want a doctorate. (laughs) Um, But if you're writing a doctorate, or for those of us that have written essays, you have a question at the top of the essay. I've written a few essays in my time. And if you're writing a doctorate, you have a thesis statement, which is your opening statement for the rest of your... If, if this is Paul's thesis, if Romans is Paul's thesis, this is his thesis statement. This one verse now, and the truth that lies in this one verse now, is what Paul will spend the next 16 chapters unpacking. It's enormous. 
And there's one man in the 1500s that got it. One man that dwelt on this for a very, very long time and he finally got it. And when he did, a light switch went on inside. And I'm praying that as we work our way through Romans that everybody in here will have that switch go on in their lives. Because the power, the immensity, the profound glory that rests in that word righteousness of God is enormous. This man pictured here is Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a a German monk from the 1500s. We know of Martin Luther because of the Protestant Reformation, where in 15... Thank you, Victor. 1517, he posted his 95 Thesis on the Doors. Never wanting to enter into a public debate, but wanting to debate the church over matters of indulgences that were being sold and other matters. But it took off like wildfire. Luther was a man that had what I would like to call, and as I discussed with Steve this morning, that he had what I would call half salvation. You see, forgiveness from sins is half. It's it's not the full, complete story. But so often we think that the gospel message is God coming down in his grace, forgiving us of our sins. True, absolutely. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is the gospel, absolutely. But that's not all of the gospel. Because as Tim Keller says, forgiveness is a release. Whereas righteousness, or another word for righteousness, justification is a coming. Tim Keller puts it beautifully when he says it's like this. He says, forgiveness sets us free from death row. Justification or righteousness, same word used interchangeably, justification hangs the Congressional Medal of Honour around our necks. And I want to unpack what Tim Keller means by that. And I want to unpack what it was that threw the light switch on for Martin Luther. The word righteousness means to be in right standing. Uh, Righteousness is about being right. It is about being just. And Martin Luther begins his Christian journey believing that what this means is that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, Martin Luther is saying, you know what? God is revealing to us how holy he is and how his standard is laid out. And now that we've been forgiven, righteousness is something I have to earn. I have to earn a position before God and I have to be able to, by my own efforts and by under my own steam, I have to be able to hold this position before God. And somebody said, do you love God, Martin? He said, love him? He says, I loathe him. How dare he put this burden on us? How dare he judge us according to his standards? And Martin Luther, you're actually correct. How dare God expect us to live to his standard like that? Martin Luther had it wrong. And the light switch went on when he realised that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the righteous position that God puts us back into. It is the completed work of Christ. What does it mean to be... What does it mean to be in a right standing? If I am in right standing with somebody, I have no debts and I have no liabilities with that person. There's nothing in conflict between us. There's there's nothing that stands between us. There's, uh, I don't owe you anything. We're not arguing in any way. There is no tension. 
And it, the word righteousness is absolutely 100% positional. And what the completed work of Christ and the good news of the gospel is this, not only does God set you free from your sins, not only are you forgiven of your sins, not only is your debt cleared, but now you're elevated to a position where there's nothing between you and God. Now, when you stand before God, you stand in exactly the same position that Jesus does. And that's enormous. That is enormous. Righteousness is a resume that opens doors. It opens doors between us and God. Let me unpack this for you for a moment. Imagine that somebody has advertised, a local university advertises for a teaching position in the astrophysics department. And I know many of you here are saying, well, you could apply, Pastor, but in reality... But in reality, I might be sitting here and I might look at that position and I might admire that position and I might like to hold that position. But if I give them my resume, they're going to look at my resume and go, what? Yeah, I'm pruning a few more trees, my friend. (laughs) Why? Because there's nothing on my resume, nothing at all, that qualifies me to hold that position. Nothing. And righteousness is when we stand before God, there's nothing on your resume that gives you the right to approach God. And so what Jesus does and what righteousness is, is Jesus going, here's my resume. Go and give that to God. And when you approach him, you're entitled to hold that position because you've got my resume. You couldn't do it, but I can do it, and I've done it. And that's why I love Christianity. I I wasn't real good at school, but I know this. Religion is spelt D-O, but Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E. It has all been done. And the light switch went on for Luther, and he says, hang on a second, I don't have to, I don't have to spend, this guy spent six hours in confessional. If he was confessing to me after an hour, I'm like, dude, either bring coffee or don't come. (laughs) But his confession was, after six hours in confessional, I walked out and realised I was just as sinful as when I walked in. He sat on the rim of the black hole of our human hearts and realised that on our own, that black hole doesn't end. The black hole of sin and weakness and pride never ends until we meet Jesus. And he plugs the hole. And so Tim Keller says, you know what? Uh, Forgiveness sets us free from death row, but this, this righteousness, this justification, we will explore justification more as we work our way through. You can't get away from it. This justification hangs the Congressional Medal of Honour around our necks. It is reinstating us to a position. Who's sitting here going, I want that kind of righteousness? Who's sitting here this morning going, that's exactly what I want? Well, you can have it, and you don't have to do anything for it, except to believe in Christ.
Because what Paul goes on and says, let's read it all from the beginning now. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God in the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or you might have a little footnote in your Bible under that for faith, and it says this, if you're reading with me. We have, I'll find it again, number four. In other words, it's meaning it is all about faith from beginning to end. It's not about what you do. It's not about, we, we don't come to church to get acceptance by God. We don't read our Bible so that God will accept us. We don't pray so that God will accept us. No, we do those things because God has already accepted us. We don't work towards acceptance. We work from acceptance. We don't work to try and achieve a position. We operate and maintain that position. And Paul says it is maintained from faith, beginning to end. It's all about faith. So, okay. We need to unpack this word a little bit. What is faith? We will continue to unpack faith more as we work our way through. But if you're sitting here this morning going, what do I have to do to believe upon Christ and to have this righteousness and this position before him? I believe A.W. Tozer sums it up the best when he says that faith is actually the gaze of the soul. It's about where your reliance is. It's about where your trust is. When we read the Gospel of John, he uses the word believe, which is interchangeable with this word faith here. And believe is about casting all of our reliance and all of our care and all of our trust upon Christ. And the analogy that A.W. Tozer gives us beautifully is the analogy of Numbers 21 and John chapter 3. In Numbers 21, when everybody's grumbling against Moses and grumbling against God in the wilderness, as judgment, God sends serpents and they bite them. And people are, people are from the poison, people are beginning to die and they cry out to God and God says to Moses, put a serpent onto a bronze pole and lift it up. And everybody that looks at the serpent will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. And then when we get to John chapter 3, we're trying to find out what believe looks like. We're trying to understand what faith is. And Jesus says the word, look. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, John chapter 3, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that all who look unto him shall be healed. Why? Because it's all about where we spend our time. How many of us know that when there's a crisis or something goes wrong, we always try to fix it in our own strength. We're always trying to fix it with our own abilities. God says, you don't have to. I've done it. You just have to trust the completed work of Christ. Faith is the firm persuasion or conviction based upon hearing. It is where we spend our lives and who our focus is. We're going to sing a song to finish and I'd ask the worship team to come back up. But as they make their way back up, this morning I'm reminded of the words of A.W. Tozer repeated by Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. 
And those words are that we are all as close to God today as we want to be. And I want to ask everybody in this room, what if, what if there was no limitations? What if there was nothing stopping you? What if there was nothing between you and God? How close would you be? And the answer is there is nothing. Jesus has torn down all of the veils. Jesus has completed all of the work and elevated every one of us back to that position. And this morning, the gospel comes to us. If we in any way feel like Pinocchio, longing for that presence, longing to know God in a more tangible, real way in our lives, then the gospel is good news for us because there is nothing standing between us and God. You might be here this morning and you may never have put your faith and trust in Jesus. If that is you, we would love to pray with you if you come down the front. You might be sitting here this morning going, you know what, I have felt like Pinocchio for a long time and I I just want to taste. I just want to sip from the fountain of living water. If that's you today, then come down the front. We'd love to pray with you and I'm sure God will meet you here. But I ask everybody in this place this morning, are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And who is it? that determines the behaviour in your life? Is it God or is it man? There is a trumpet call from the book of Romans that is asking us to throw off the shackles and unplug and uncork the gospel of Jesus for it's the power of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that our eyes would be opened, that our hearts would be opened and that the fullness of the truth of the gospel of Jesus will impact our hearts. May this gospel impact our attitudes. May this gospel impact our desires. May this gospel dissolve all complacency and half-heartedness and lukewarmness. And may you draw us ever closer to you, we ask. In your wonderful and glorious name, amen. Let us sing together as we finish this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.